أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ياسين والقرآن الحكيم إنك لمن المرسلين على صراط مستقيم تنزيل العزيز الرحيم لتنذر قوما ما أنذر آباؤهم فهم غافلون لقد حق القول على أكثرهم فهم لا يؤمنون Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidil Anbiya'i wal Mursaleen Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Thumma amma ba'd fa'a'udhu billahi min ash-shaitan rajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Yaseen Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh I, inshaAllah, as we're starting Surah Yaseen The heart of the Qur'an as the Prophet describes it Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam I wanted to share a couple of things with you about this beautiful Surah If you take out the Madani Surahs in this section of the Qur'an we're in the Madani surahs are you know, few and far between. So we saw Nur after a long time. And after Nur, we had you know, eight, nine surahs. And all the way down, then we had Ahzab. And now we're going to have about 13 surahs before we get to the next Madani surah. So if you go between Nur and Ahzab, this section of mostly Makki surahs, um, this is right in the middle of them. Ten on this side, ten on this side. And Yasin is right in the middle. So it's in the heart of the, the, the middle section of the Quran as far as number of surahs. And or, or you know distribution of Makkan and Madinan surahs, and within that Makkan section, it's right in the middle, and it's one of those unique surahs in the Quran that actually doesn't have a pair, from a literary structural point of view and from a theme point of view. There's not another surah that's similar to it at all. Most other surahs have some other surah that's very similar to it. So Fatir and Sabah had some similarities, for instance. Uh, the other thing also that's, that makes this surah beautiful, when Allah Azawajal or the Messenger calls it the heart of the Qur'an, what that means for us is that it has a special spiritual value. It has a special meaning to the heart of the believers. And I, sh- I want to share something personal with you guys also. Back when I was first getting enthusiastic about learning something about Islam, and before I, didn't even, before I even took Arabic classes or anything like that, I really, really wanted to memorize the surah. So I memorized the surah when I was like a freshman in college. And when I did that, this is probably the only surah that had a, like a really serious impact on me, even if I didn't understand it. And then when I started studying Arabic, even though I love the entire Quran, this surah is like it's more emotionally moving to me than any other surah. And that brings me to another really important point. We're trying to understand the Quran and study it, and study its, you know, some of us are trying to study its language, others are trying to study its meaning and translation, others are trying to study its tafsir and depth, but we're trying to understand this book at multiple levels, and it's a journey for all of us. But you know when that journey comes together, is when you're reciting the Qur'an. You, we're not experiencing the Qur'an in hearing what it has to say, or hearing some of its explanation. That's not really experiencing the Qur'an. Qur'an is actually experienced in Salat. And so all this study, it amounts to something when you experience what you've come to understand when it's being recited. There's something supernatural about the Qur'an's recitation that cannot be duplicated in a lecture, it can't be duplicated in print, 
It can't be duplicated in any other form. It's meant to be recited. Understand that tajweed itself and the act of beautifying the Qur'an, you know, ghannaw Qur'an bi aswatikum, beautify Qur'an with your voices. Why? Because that is a divine order. That's an order from Allah Azza wa Jal. The, the, you know, Dawud alayhi salam was given the commandment, and who's singing along? The, the mountains and the birds are singing along. And Allah Azza wa Jal has given us what, what, what is so powerful, mountains can't even handle it. Mountains can't handle it. And its beauty, its melody, and its, you know, and that's something special about early Meccan surahs like Yasin, is that they move very quickly. And if you hear a good reciter that knows, that understands the rhythmic flow of the surah and knows where to stop and where to go on, you'll be enchanted. Like literally you'll be enchanted. By the recitation of surahs like Surah Yasin and the surah that's coming after it, Surah Al-Safat. So it's, it's really important that we understand that understanding a surah is one part, and then praying with that surah is another dimension altogether, and that's really when Qur'an is experienced. This is us getting ready to experience the Qur'an. This is there, I mean, my, my intention, inshallah ta'ala, for getting all of this recorded and you know, having it put out and things like that, and adding it to the TV library, is that from, for years to come, inshallah, you guys just kind of, if you, if you haven't studied Arabic or something, or you want to refresh, you listen to the juz ahead of time, and then go to Taraweeh. And then you go listen to the juz, and go to Taraweeh. And go listen to the juz, and go to Taraweeh. It'll be a different Taraweeh. Because it's supposed to be experienced. It's supposed to be read in Salat. And the more Qur'an you memorize, with meaning, with what you've come to understand, then it, it's a completely different experience also. And that's why, I mean, many of you would aspire to memorize the surah. It's not that long. Surah Yasin is not that long. And it's easy to memorize. And it's got a beautiful flow to it. And inshallah ta'ala, after this dars, hopefully it'll, it'll add to your appreciation of it. And even though my dars is going to be brief, Sheikh uh, Abdul Nasser has already posted all of Yasin uh, on YouTube. A detailed dars on Surah Yasin. So it's something you can uh, enjoy it and benefit from also, inshallah ta'ala. So, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Yasin. Yasin is argued to be one of the uh, seen being the central letter of the word insan and thus argued by some to be the title given to the Prophet Ya being the word of like nida to call somebody and seen because it's the center of humanity it's the, it's the essence of the word human being and the essence of all humanity is the Prophet and some derive from that that yes the seen is referring to the Prophet there's no concrete evidence for that Allahu Alam but the opinion exists the same sort of opinion exists about Taha, about that, that it being referred to the Prophet But we can consider it huruf muqatta'at and that's safe interpretation also, Yasin. Wal Qur'an al-Hakim. And, and we, uh, we swear by the, the Qur'an full of wisdom, the wise Qur'an. And this why in the beginning is the oath. So we're entering this territory of the Qur'an where now the oaths are going to become more and more and more common. This surah begins with an oath, next surah is going to begin with an oath, and oaths are going to be a regular feature of the Qur'an. So this is a good time to just kind of give you an overview of what the purpose is of Allah Azza wa taking an oath. Because it is a very constant part of Qur'an studies, uh, the oaths in the Qur'an. When we take an oath in life, uh, we usually take it in court. I take the oath to tell the truth, I swear to tell the truth, nothing but the truth, most of the truth, so help me God etc, etc. You can take an oath when you're angry. I swear, man, if you don't stop, I'll kill you. I swear. Now you're swearing and you're taking an oath because you're excited. You can take an oath 
because of no reason, I swear, if I just have one more chicken, I will die. Just for no reason, just I swear. Or wallahi. We talked about wallahi before, right? Wallahi chocolate ice cream reminds me of Jannah. That sort of thing. Just for no reason, you take an oath. Then you take an oath also uh, uh, in language to express anger, like extreme anger. And to, to show somebody your commitment. You also take an oath when somebody doesn't believe you. Why are you late? I was stuck in traffic. And your boss says, uh-huh. You say, no, I swear, I was stuck in traffic. So you swear, you take an oath, because the person you're talking to doesn't believe you. But in ancient Arabic, the oath served two additional functions. These are, these are all universal functions. These are cross languages. You can find these things in not just English, but in any language. But in the ancient Arabic, there were two additional things that made oaths special. The first of them was they used to take oaths to get the attention of an audience. You know how in, um, at, after khutbah, the, the, the guy makes the announcement? He says, brothers and sisters, please, I have five announcements. Five brief announcements. Please don't leave. Please, please don't leave. That guy, if he was back in the Arab times, he would just swear by something. And everybody would listen up. This was his way of saying, everybody listen up, this is urgent. And what he would swear by, and this is common to the Arabic language, what he would swear by, it's always an object. I swear by this mountain. I swear by you. I swear by our tribe. I swear by the sun. I swear by the moon, etc., etc. What he would swear by would give people a hint about the importance of what he's about to say. So his oath was actually not the announcement. His oath was there to get the attention of the audience so they could listen to the announcement. It was the precursor to the announcement. You know how we say in the news there's a special news bulletin? Special news alert? But that special news alert, that, that screen, is not the news itself. It's just getting you ready for the news. So the oath and the object, the object is the thing you swear by. So if you say, I swear by Allah, then the word Allah would be the object. The oath and its object were designed in Arabic to just get the attention of the audience. So that when the important announcement is made, people aren't taking it casually. Otherwise, the thing to say isn't the oath or its object, the thing to say is what comes after. The, the actual information is what comes after. But the oath, its purpose is to get the attention. Okay, so that's one. And to give you an idea, like when they said wasabaha, which is a, a, a unique form of oath taking, I swear by the morning that is coming. Wasabaha. And if they said that, that means tomorrow morning there's some serious trouble on the way. So we better listen, because whatever he's about to say has something to do with the morning. Okay? Now, that's one very popular use of oaths in ancient Arabic. And then the Quran added another dimension to oaths that is unique to the Qur'an and is done in a, in, in, in a depth that hasn't been done anywhere else. And that is that Allah did, Allah used the, the object of the oath to be a witness, to serve as a witness, a corroborating witness to the subject of the oath. And what does that mean? You know in court somebody testifies, I saw it was his fault. Or I'm testifying he was with me, but you're accusing him of robbing the bank, but he was with me at the time. I'm a supporting witness to him, to what he's saying. The object became the supporting witness for the subject. 
So the, uh, the, the evidence is furnished first, then the claim is made. So the subject is going to be the claim, and the object is going to be the evidence even furnished ahead of time. Here's the proof. Now let me tell you what I'm going to say. So it's like it's the proof. It's the witness that proves the validity of the latter. So there's two ways of saying that. The one is that the object is the witness to the subject. That's one way of saying it. And the other way of saying it is the object is the evidence of the subject. The object is somehow the evidence of the truth in the subject. So for instance, when Allah says, just to make this easy for you to understand, because that's a lot of theory. When Allah says, وَالْعَصْرِ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرِ I swear by time, no doubt human beings are immersed, are drowned in loss, when Allah says that. Then what He means, two things according to this idea. One is, time is a witness. Time testifies to the fact that human beings are in loss. Which means human history, time, is enough evidence that human beings are in loss. We get to this at the end of the Qur'an. Has the Qur'an not told stories of nations that came and went over and over and over again? And now Allah uses all of that and juices that in one word. I swear by time that's running out. Human beings have been in loss all throughout. And there's no doubt about it. There's no, there's no confusion left. Then the other way of looking at it, that time is evidence. Not time is witness. Time has been watching. Imagine times, time is this guy standing on the sidelines watching a tragedy go by. So it's as though Allah is saying time is a creature that's witness that human beings just keep making the same old mistake. That's one way of looking at it. And the other is time itself is proof that human beings are in loss. What's the biggest loss human beings suffer? All human beings can't escape it. It's time. We're losing seconds by the second. We're losing moments where every breath draws closer to our death. You know, hayatuka anfas, as the poet says, your life amounts to just breaths. That's all your life is. Inhales and exhales. So that, th this idea of the, oath, the object of the oath serving an evidence for the subject of the oath. Now, wal Qur'an al-Hakim is the object of the oath. I swear by the Qur'an full of wisdom. And the subject of the oath is إِنَّكَ لَمِنَ الْمُرْسَلِينَ No doubt about it. You truly are, I swear to it, of those who have been sent. You are among those who have been sent. What is Allah saying then? The Qur'an itself is enough as testimony. The Qur'an testifies on Judgment Day that He's a messenger. He doesn't need you and me to say, Ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluhu. Who's doing the shahada in this surah? The Qur'an is. The word of Allah itself is a testifier to the validity of the Messenger He doesn't need validation from you. He's not dependent on you. He is confident because he has the greatest testifier on his side and that is the Qur'an full of wisdom itself. Now the other point of view, what is it saying? It's saying the Qur'an is so full of wisdom, wisdom that is impossible to be within the reach of a human being, that in and of itself is proof that it's not something he can draft himself. He absolutely has to be from some of those who have been sent. عَلَى صِرَاتٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ Committed to a straight path. تَنْزِيلَ الْعَزِيزِ الرَّحِيمِ Now we're describing the, 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 the صِرَاتٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ with the, this is a مَفْعُولٍ عَلَى الْمَدْحِ This is نَصْبٍ to, to praise it. 
how awesome a revelation that keeps coming down little by little by little, the, the slowly revealed revelation of the ultimate authority, the always merciful. So that you can warn a nation. Whose ancestors weren't warned. And then as a result, they and their ancestors have become heedless. They've become completely oblivious to this idea that there's such a thing that they should be worried about. They live a life of, of, of carefreeness. They don't worry about anything. That's ghafla. Ghafla is you don't care. You're not, you're not worried about anything. You're just chill. So Allah says they're too relaxed. Them and their ancestors, because they didn't have messengers, they become relaxed and they don't realize the seriousness of what's coming. لَقَدْ حَقَّ الْقَوْلُ عَلَىٰ أَكْثَرِهِمْ The truth. And قَوْلُ uh, here you should understand is verdict. The verdict is deserving on most of them. Allah's word, meaning Allah's word, verdict, that they deserve punishment, is already deserved on most of them. Meaning most of them have exhibited the behavior despite the great nature of the Qur'an, the wisdom of the Qur'an, and the great straight character of the Prophet that is alluded to in this surah. Despite seeing both of these two very strong evidences, they're not, they haven't budged from their lifestyle. So they've, as far as Allah is concerned, already deserved the verdict that Allah has passed on, on them. فَهُمْ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ And those are the last causes. Those are the terminal cases. فَهُمْ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ Then they're the ones that are not going to come to believe. إِنَّا جَعَلْنَا فِي أَعْنَاقِهِمْ أَغْلَالًا It is we in fact, no doubt about it, that has placed in their, around their necks, أَغْلَالًا Fetters, like shackles. Like you know how you put the collar around a dog? In old time prisoners, they used to have these metal collars they put around the slaves and prisoners. That's أَغْلَال فَهِيَ إِلَى الْأَذْقَانِ أَذْقَنَا or adhqanu actually, someone who has a, lo a large beard or a big beard that goes down from the chin. Okay, so dhuqun actually is here. It's the, it's the chin. So these fetters go up to the chin. Now, usually it's around the neck. If it's around the neck, you have head motion. But if the fetter goes up to the chin, what happens to your face? It's pushed up. Now your face is pushed up because of the collar that, that Allah has put inside this on this person. Also they say yadayhi. He grabbed his beard with his hands Like just like this So he held his head up Now the, the thing that Allah has put on their necks Is holding them up like this Then as a result they are muqmah Muqmah is to raise For the camel to raise its, its head But keep its eyes close Akmah al-ba'ir they say The camel raises its head But keeps its eyes down You know and this is, it's a strange position for the camel uh, uh, to be in. It's used, for example, for a human being, like akmah rajul wa ghassa aw ghabba basarahu, that the man's his neck is held up like this for some reason, but he's trying to look down. They're trying to look down. Now, if your neck is held up and somebody says, hey, can you pick that up? Right in front of you, can you see it or no? Just right in front of you, right in between your feet, right there. And your neck is held up like this, can you see it? No matter how hard you try, you can't see it. Allah says the revelation, the truth, is right smack in front of them. But their necks have been pulled up like this because of their behavior. They're locked in misguidance. And by the way, holding your head up like this is to be a snotty brat. The arrogance they showed, Allah, remember told you, Inna Fir'awna Allah Fir'awn raised his head in the land. Like that. Allah says, you want to raise your head like that? I'll lock it up this way. And you can't even look down. 
And you can't look down, so you can't see what's right in front of you. What's right in front of you? And right in front of them we have put a wall, and right behind them we've put a wall. What's this referring to? There's two kinds of uh, evidences other than the, the ayat of the Qur'an that Allah keeps alluding to in the Qur'an that you've now gotten a good taste of. There are evidences right in front of you. The sky, the earth, the plants, the mountains, the colors, colors of human beings like the last surah talked about, colors of rocks, you know, textures of plants, different tasting fruits. All of this is right in front of you. But you can't see it for what it is because your neck is locked up. And what's right behind you? The ruins of Ad, the ruins of Thamud, the story of Fir'aun. You pass by those ruins. That's what, ha what happened behind you. So Allah says we've placed a barrier in what is right in front of them and what is right behind them. A wall has been placed. Sad on this side, sad on that side. In other words, neither can they benefit from the world they see, the, uh, the world of ayat that they see in front of them, nor can they benefit from the lessons from history that they're supposed to draw like everybody else. So there are three kinds of basic evidences. There's the revelation itself, Qur'an itself. And then what the Qur'an continually points to, the, thing, the two things Qur'an continually points to are the things that should have been in your observation even before the Qur'an came, and that is the creation around you, reflection on creation, and reflection on history. Reflection on history of nations, history of peoples. Those are the two outside evidences that all human beings should have reflected on. But you know what? When you're heedless, just like your forefathers are heedless, you don't care about history. I mean, look at it. You go to high school. What's the useless class? Why are we doing this? History class. You're doing a major. You're a bio major. You're a chemistry major. You're, you're a computer science major. And they make you take these prerequisites. And one of them is history. And you're like, why? How is this going to help me? We are now, as a world, officially in a state of ghafla. All we want to worry about is our own future. Even our education is pushing us towards being concerned only about ourselves, only about our academics, so much so that it helps in our specific careers, because that career will make us some money. So education has amounted to skilled labor. That's it. That's all education means, is skilled labor. Whether you know how to put a brick with some cement on a wall, or you know how to do surgery on a human being, or you know how to program code onto an app, at the end of the day, it's all some form of labor. Education is just amount, amounted to labor. And every other form of education is considered these extra humanities courses here and there that you might find interesting. And if, by the way, any of your kids pick one of those courses, one of the courses that aren't supposed to be skilled labor, they might want to become a historian, for God's sake. Astaghfirullah al-Azim. Or they might want to become, you know, a linguist. They might want to become, they, want to, they might want to study literature or anything else. Anything outside the scope of what makes you money. Anything, and you just, you flip out, like, what are you doing? What are you going to do with that? You can't do anything with that. You know, what kind of career are you going to have? We don't study those things. You know, these are the very subjects that were the most noble subjects in, pre -modern, in the pre-modern world. In the post-modern world, the most important thing became the factory. The factory was invented. 
And when the factory came out, the, the most important thing became how do you run this factory? Whether that, that's now a virtual factory where you're sitting behind a computer coding away, you're still building. You're still building. You know? Or you're you know, manufacturing or you're on the business end of things. At the end of the day, you're still pushing out, churning out product, 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 product. That's all you've become. That's all human beings have become. That's why I give a lot of value to these humanities courses. I know a lot of them mess students up too. But they're the ones that broaden your mind. Those are the, the study of history, the study of, of sociology, the study of psychology. And if you're going to study psychology, inshallah, eventually we should have, I'd like to actually, at least on Baina TV, eventually put a course on Islamic psychology, on Quranic psychology. Because that's a critical subject. And if you just study psychology from the modern point of view, it'll mess you up. Because their theories on personality are twisted. They really are. You know, and they'll just, it'll give you a view of the human being that isn't accurate according to Allah himself. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like my psych professor, one of my psych professors used to say human beings are so blank, flawed. They're so flawed. I mean, that's the, per, that's the assumption with which they begin building their perception of human personality. We begin fitratullahi allati fatara nasa alayha. We begin the perfect molding and carving of Allah that He fashioned people on. We begin with perfection and then human beings like Allah's Messenger describes Parents corrupt Him. Society corrupts Him. But at His essence, the human being is pure and good. You know? Like, just to, I know it's a tangent, but just very quickly, for example, Iqbal and his theory of Khudi. Some of you might be familiar with that. But his, the essential idea in that theory was that human beings seek to beautify things. They seek to create beautiful architecture, beautiful art, beautiful cities. You know, they seek to create beautiful you know, uh, technology. And they want to improve and improve and improve. This urge to improve inside human beings is there in everything the human being does. There's a constant progression. So if you know, the nation before us built something, we want to build it better. If there was a car, we want to make a better car. If there's a plane, we want to make a better plane. If there's a house, we want to make a better house. If there's art, we want to make newer art. You know? We want to keep getting better and better and better. And he goes, well, where is, this, where is this urge coming from? This urge is coming from the fact that we were originally in the company of the very best. We were in the company of Allah Azza wa And He put this ruh inside of us that seeks perfection, which is Allah Himself. And when, until it meets Allah, it seeks to perfect everything around it. It seeks to improve it. And this is actually the quest for God not yet met. That's his idea. <laughs> Subhanallah. It started with Jannah. That Adam begins in Jannah. You know, he begins in the very best. He's, he's exposed to Jannah, guys. Then he comes to the earth. And he's like, I should build things that remind me of Jannah. I should teach my kids to do things like they were going on in Jannah. I mean, he's seen it, right? Your parents have seen it. You know, we say, oh, back in our country, we used to have this or that. We didn't have this TV or that. Or we tell our children, we didn't have these things. What's he telling his kids? You know, we had everything. <laughs> you just have dunya. We had Jannah. <laughs> it's a different perspective. Subhanallah. So anyhow, وَجَعَلْنَا مِنْ بَيْنِ أَيْدِيهِمْ سَدًّا وَمِنْ خَلْفِهِمْ سَدًّا فَأَرْشَيْنَاهُمْ Then we've covered them on top too. So above and behind. And then you know the only place left to look is up. Because if your neck is held up like this, and you're having a hard time looking down, the only place left is up. فَأَرْشَيْنَاهُمْ We've covered them on top too. 
They can't even look up. And then they have no view. Then they can't see. See this image that's being drawn? Every side you're, you're, you're taken out. And it is the same on them. Their verdict, you know, Allah said already that these are, there's a people that there's, they're not going to believe now. They're a lost cause. And now he's fortifying that idea. He's saying, whether you warned them or you didn't warn them at all, wouldn't make a difference. We're not going to believe. The, those are the people that are a lost cause. You're only going to be able to warn. Whoever followed along behind the reminder. Now to follow behind something is to identify with something. Something in you piques a curiosity. You know like you're walking by, you're, you're walking on campus and there's a crowd. And you smell, you smell something good tasting. So you join the crowd. Something familiar in you. You smelled it, you say, oh, they must be cooking something there. Let me go check it out. And you headed that way. And you followed. You followed your nose in that case. Okay? So you follow something that, is, that, is, that appeals to you. Something inside you clicks with it. Allah says, the only people you'll be able to warn is when the kinds of people, when they hear the reminder, it clicks with something they have inside already, and they follow it. They're inclined towards it. Those are the only kinds of people. وَخَشِيَ الرَّحْمَنَ بِالْغَيْبِ and was fearful of the exceedingly merciful in the unseen. Now what does that mean? In the previous surah we saw the manifestation of Allah's Rahmah. I'm just, gonna, just trying to stick to the word Rahmah now because I've explained what it means. right? We saw the manifestations of Allah's Rahmah and how they're supposed to actually make you afraid. If everything else has a purpose, then I, more than any of these things, has a purpose. Everything else doesn't get to observe everything else. The bee doesn't look at the sun and say, what a magnificent creature it is. It's just doing its job. The, the, the other creatures of Allah, the flower, doesn't look at the mountain and say, wow, that's incredible. We're the only ayah of Allah that looks around and appreciates all the other ayat of Allah and our own selves. The bee can't even appreciate itself. It can't even look at it and say, How was I created? But Allah says, Human beings should observe, what are they made of? What are they made of? How are they designed? We can even observe and appreciate our own creation, not just other creation. That's incredible. So if everything else has a purpose, we should be more liable for purpose than anything else. We are the most purposeful. And that scares, that's a scary thought. Then the word bilghayb here. Bilghayb means two things. One, Allah is in the ghayb. Ar-Rahman is in the unseen. But that's, in, that's okay for me, I'm still afraid. I'm actually afraid of the day that he's not in the unseen. What do you manifest? And bil also means that I'm afraid of Ar-Rahman when nobody else is around, when I'm unseen from people. And the unseen here could mean, I'm in the unseen. Nobody sees me in my private moments. I'm afraid of Ar-Rahman. فَبَشِّرْهُ بِمَغْفِرَةٍ Then congratulate him of great, of great forgiveness. وَأَجْرٍ كَرِيمٍ Of a noble and of a noble compensation. إِنَّا نَحْنُ نُحْيِ الْمَوْتَى we, in fact, are the ones that will give life to the dead. And we have documented what they have sent ahead. Every action they did has consequences. Last surah we learned, يُخْلَف It comes back to you. He brings it back to you. Now we're learning, Allah documents. He writes down everything we've done that has already been sent ahead. Meaning, you did it, you did an action, who wrote it down? The angels, and they sent it ahead. They sent it out for processing. How much punishment, how much reward? 
They sent it for, for processing to the Department of you know, Justice. And then it comes and it's documented every time. But then the, the crazy thing was atharahum. And they're awake. Athar are footsteps in sand, literally. Athar in modern Arabic is used for ruins. Traces of something that was once there. Allah is saying your actions have consequences way after you're gone. Just like somebody's gone and you see their footsteps, your deeds leave remnants, they leave traces. Like you can see smoke, you see smoke, and you're coughing, you're like, there was a car that has a really bad transmission that drove by here, because I could still smell the smoke. You know? It's the traces of it, it's the athar of it. So the consequences of your deeds are also being documented. You did something wrong, and as a result, your children did something wrong, and their children did something wrong. These are the athar of your deeds. These are the remnants, the, the consequences of your deeds. And we have documented everything to count something and to encompass it, to have full record of something in an open imam. Imam here, you know, imam in Arabic means several things. It also means road. Road. And it's the, the image of a book that is so big, it's like a highway. Just, you keep unscrolling and it keeps unscrolling, keeps unfolding. Keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. That's how large the document is that, that rec records everything. وَضْرِبْ لَهُمْ مَثَلًا And strike an example for them. Meaning get their attention by giving them a strong example. An example, that is to say, أَصْحَابَ الْقَرِيَةِ The people of the town. Now which town? Allah didn't say. Which town? Allah didn't say. There's a lot of speculation among Mufassirun. What town could this have been? Who are these messengers that Allah is going to talk about? What town might it be? Are these even messengers? Or are they messengers of messengers? You know, some said this is a town after Isa pass, as passing of some of his sahaba that went to a town. Others say, no, this could be messengers themselves. Allahu alam. The point is Allah didn't mention their name. That's the real point. And when Allah didn't mention their name, there's a reason. He wants us to focus on the story itself, the event itself. Because it duplicates itself. إِذْ جَاءَهَا الْمُرْسَلُونَ When those that have been sent came to them. Now, Mursal is, is a maf'ud. So it could be that they're sent by Allah. It could be they're sent by a messenger. You know, it could be a, a, any of those. But the, the, the dominant case among our Mufassirun's opinions, they were in fact messengers. Arsal, by the way, Mursalun is jama'a, right? It's plural, which means there's at least more than two. More than two messengers were sent to the same town. When first we sent to them two. فَكَذَّبُوهُمَا then they called both of them liars. فَعَزَّزْنَا بِثَالِثٍ Then we honored, dignified, and fortified, strengthened them with a third. فَقَالُوا إِنَّا إِلَيْكُمْ مُرْسَلُونَ Then unified, they all said together, we have been sent to you. قَالُوا مَا أَنْتُمْ إِلَّا بَشَرٌ مِثْلُنَا They turned to them and said, you, all of you amount to nothing but flesh and skin just like us. You're mortal beings no different than our own selves. وَمَا أَنزَلَ الرَّحْمَنُ مِنْ شَيْءٍ And the exceedingly merciful Ar-Rahman that you keep referring to didn't send anything down. إِنْ أَنْتُمْ إِلَّا تَكْذِبُونَ This is nothing but you guys making up a lie. قَالُوا رَبُّنَا يَعْلَمُ They said our master in fact, he knows إِنَّا إِلَيْكُمْ لَمُرْسَلُونَ That we no doubt are the ones that have been sent to you. In other words, we don't need validation from you. We already have validation from Allah. Who's giving the messenger validation in the surah? إِنَّكَ لَمِنَ الْمُرْسَلِينَ Allah has given him validation. He doesn't need it from anybody else. And this is not just him. Before them also, they said, our master knows. We don't have to get you to say it. Our master already knows. And our only obligation 
is the only obligation we have on us is nothing but to communicate clearly. Al-Balaghul Mubin. Balagha in Arabic means to reach. To reach. And from it became, you know, communication is a form of getting the word to reach you, getting the message to reach you. Like a text message is a balagh, an email is a balagh. But the word balagh takes another form in Arabic. It, it's you know, like Allah says to the Messenger, Tell them something that goes deep, that reaches them, deep inside of them. Balagh means words that are so powerful that penetrate the fort and go inside and hit, hit, hit your heart. What's the fort? Your chest. It's like the, this literal image of the chest protecting your heart. So when somebody talks, you don't let those words get to you. You don't want them to affect you. But if you want them to get right through the cavity of your chest and enter those words into the heart, then those have to be some really powerful words. And so our responsibility is nothing but delivering the most powerful words. إِلَّا الْمُبِينَ They said, we think that you're cursed. طَيِّر means bird. And تَطَيَّرَ is to attribute a curse based on a bird. You know, in modern culture also, they say if there's a crow or something, if you see a crow, it's a bad luck thing. This is from back in Jahiliya days, guys. They used to consider crows bad luck too. And birds bad luck. And if you see vultures or things like that, oh, it's a sign of death, oh, bad things are going to happen, it's a bad omen. So from it, from tayyid comes to tayyara. We think that you're cursed. Meaning the problems we're having in our community, the economic downturn we're having is because you people are here, you're cursed people. We've learned before that when messengers come to a town, Allah brings difficulty to that town, so they soften up. So they're not so indulged in their luxuries. But they see those problems and say, it's because you people are cursed. That's what our gods tell us. If you don't stop this message of yours, There's no doubt about it, we will stone you to death. Or the, the other alternative is that you are going to get tortured by us. A, a painful punishment will come and get you on our behalf. They said your birds are with you. Your ridiculous curses. That's just something you've made up and it stays with you. You can keep that to yourselves. Even if you are being reminded, even if you're being given all of this reminder, all you can think of is a curse that has no basis. Rather, the fact of the matter is you're a nation that goes overboard. Your reactions are overboard. They're not well thought out. Your lifestyle is overboard in excess. Everything you do is in excess. And even your response to the messengers is excessive. And from the very far end of the city, a man came running. He said, nation, follow those that have been sent. So this guy comes, and he comes only to be a companion to these messengers. And now we're learning he came from the other end of the city, which could also mean that he came from the ghettos. He came from the poorer side of the city, and he came to speak to these elite, which means that they don't have much respect for what he has to say, and they're even offended by what he has to say. Follow someone who doesn't ask you for any compensation. This is another clue. Obviously, the messenger wouldn't ask, or there wouldn't be any assumption that he wants our money if he was talking to people that don't have any money. So he's talking to people that have money. The messengers are talking to people that have money. And they assume, like we talked about yesterday, this guy just wants some of our money. That's why he's giving us these lectures. That's why he's, these, these messengers are giving their message of Islam. So ask, you know, follow the one that doesn't ask you for any compensation. 
And they're all guided. They're all committed to guidance. You know their character. You know these people already. You know, you've, you've seen them before they were messengers. And what would be wrong with me? What, what would possibly be wrong with me? That I wouldn't enslave myself to the one that molded me. And to him alone you will all be returned. In other words, my own creation, not just this message, my own creation, if I reflect on it, was enough for me to reach the truth. How could I, how could I deny what I've been made? Am I supposed to take other aliha, other gods, other entities of worship and obedience and devotion other than him? In yuridna rahmanu bidurrin if, in fact, the ultimately merciful wanted any harm to come to me, la tughni anni shafa'atuhum. No, no intercession of theirs would possibly come to benefit me at all. These gods of yours that you think are going to come and help you, I'm telling you, they wouldn't come to my aid at all. Wala Nor can they protect me or ward off any punishment. To rescue somebody, to save somebody. They couldn't save me from punishment at all. If that was the case, I would be so misguided, lost. Then listen, I have come to believe in your real master. Listen to what I'm saying. Now he's giving this lecture, and he's all he's talking about is himself. If I did this, I would be I would be lost. If I did this, I would be making a grave mistake. I've come to believe. Please listen to what I'm saying. I, I, I. He's not saying, you people do shirk. You people do this. You people do that. We're learning a, a wisdom here. And the wisdom is to try to reach into the hearts of people. You should talk about yourself, not about them. The messengers can talk about the people. But he's not a messenger. He came to support the messengers. He can't talk down to the people. He has to talk on his own behalf. Look, this is what I, what's going on with me. I want to share with you what's happening with me. My own struggle. It's brilliant. Because even in a khutbah, even in a lecture, even in a talk, even in a halaqa, a class you're teaching, when you're talking about something that we should do better, you should make it I. You know, I should pray. I should get up early. I should stop backbiting. I should really control my temper. Not you, or the youth, or some Muslims. Just, I should do it. Our discourse should be dominated by I. It takes the guard off of the listener. But these people were at a different level. When they heard, listen to me, oh yeah, you're going to tell us to listen to you, they murdered him. They killed him. So what are we finding immediately after? It was said, enter Jannah. How's he entering Jannah from right there? What, what happened in between? He was killed. He was killed. So what are Sahaba being taught in the surah? Be ready to be killed. And if you do get killed, I won't even mention the killing, because you won't even remember that. All you'll remember are the words, enter Jannah. Jannah. You know, entering Jannah, the shuhada, the martyr, is not, doesn't have to wait till Judgment Day. He's given direct access. He goes straight. He called to Allah, and that was his crime, and he was killed. And immediately he's told, enter Jannah, please go into Jannah. And you can imagine his family's crying, loved ones are crying. Everybody else around him is sad. He said, Oh, if only my nation had any idea. 
of what forgiveness my master has given to me. Of the fact that, you know, ma masdariya here, bi an ghafaradi rabbi. Of the fact that my master has forgiven me. Wa ja'alani min al mukrameen. And he's made me from those that have been honored. وَمَا أَنزَلْنَا عَلَىٰ قَوْمِهِ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ مِنْ جُنْدٍ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ See, his struggle is over. He came running, he spoke the truth, paid the price. وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ قَضَىٰ نَحْبَهُ وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَنْتَظِرُ Of them is the one who's paid his price. Of them is the one that waits. So he's already gone. What happens to those left behind? وَمَا أَنزَلْنَا عَلَىٰ قَوْمِهِ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ We didn't send on his nation way after he was gone. مِنْ جُنْدٍ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ We didn't send any army from the sky. وَمَا كُنَّا مُنْزِلِينَ And we didn't have to send that. We weren't ones to send that either. We didn't need a whole army to take them out. Unnecessary. إِنْ كَانَتْ إِلَّا صَيْحَةً وَاحِدًا It was just one loud scream. One loud scream. One loud sound. فَإِذَا Then immediately هُمْ خَامِدُونَ They were lying there lifeless. When fire becomes weak, and the fire draws down, this is khamada. And the fire of life inside a person, when it's going away, that's khamada. Like they were just lying there, slowly dying. They died slowly. فَإِذَاهُمْ They're paralyzed, and they can't even help themselves. And slowly but surely, the fire of life is burning out of them. Bodies lying around, and they, there's no ambulance coming. Nobody else is coming. And they're just watching as their faces are, are hitting the ground. They're just watching their life leave their body. This is فَإِذَاهُمْ خَامِدُونَ You know, خُمُود is actually used, or خَمِدَةِ الْحَيِّ is when the fever goes down, when the heat goes down. And you know how bodies get cold when they die. So slowly but surely their bodies are going cold. And that scene is being described. It's, what a horrible end for this nation. A slow and painful death. يَا حَسْرَةً عَلَى الْعِبَادِ Oh, what regret! Allah, I express, meaning Allah expresses, what terrible regret on these slaves. مَا يَأْتِيهِمْ الرَّسُولِ There's not a single messenger that ever came to them, إِلَّا كَانُوا بِهِ يَسْتَهْزِئُونَ Except that they keep poking fun at him and ridiculing him. أَوَلَمْ يَرَوْ كَمْ أَهْلَكْنَا قَبْلَهُمْ مِنَ الْقُرُونَ Haven't they ever observed how many before them of different kinds of towns, different kinds of civilizations, we've already annihilated. That they're not going to come back to him. Once they're gone, they're gone. They're, they're ancients now. We made them history stories. People go take pictures at the pyramids. But when Allah brought destruction to them, you weren't there. You know? وَإِن كُلُّ لَمَّا جَمِيعٌ لَدَيْنَا مُحْضَرُونَ And absolutely, every single one of them, at the day, the day on which all of them, جَمِيعٌ لَدَيْنَا مُحْضَرُونَ Before us, they will be presented. They will be brought for the report. وَآيَةٌ لَهُمُ الْأَرْضُ الْمَيْتَةِ This is the ayah I'll leave you with, inshallah ta'ala. وَآيَةٌ لَهُمُ الْأَرْضُ الْمَيْتَةِ Another miraculous sign for them is the dead earth. Now see, there's two kinds of evidences. There's what is behind them and what is in front of them. What is behind them is history. So there was one evidence given from history. And what is in front of them is the earth, the nature. So now the other side. Another miraculous sign for them is the dead earth. We give it life. We gave it life. And we drew out grain from it. And from it they consume, they eat. Farmland, grain, seed. All kinds of farm. Hab could be any kind of seed. That they turn into farm and then they eat from it. So now Allah is going to turn our attention to nature. Allah turned our attention to a generic 
story of history. It could be a real event, but it represents the struggle of all prophets. And now he's going to, so that's what's behind us. And now what's in front of us? The, the things that we should observe in front of us. He's going to call us uh, to, to, to reflect on those lessons. And then inshallah ta'ala the surah will conclude. So with that I'll give you your first break. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim. Wa nafa'ni wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. وَجَعَلْنَا فِيهَا جَنَّاتٍ مِّن نَخِيلٍ وَأَعْنَابٍ وَفَجَّرْنَا فِيهَا مِنَ الْعُيُونِ لِيَأْكُلُوا مِن ثَمَرِهِ وَمَا عَمِلَتْهُ أَيْدِيهِمْ أَفَلَا يَشْكُرُونَ رَبِّ اشْرَحْ لِي صَدْرِي وَيَسِّرْ لِي أَمْرِي وَاحْلُلْ عُقْدَةً مِّن لِسَانِي يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي فَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ وَالصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ we're on ayah number 34 of Surah Yaseen. And we made in all of them, uh, meaning implying in the earth, in the land, in all of the lands, gardens of date palms and of grapevines, of fruit. And we caused springs to come out of them. We exploded waterfalls and springs to gush out of them, out of the land. min thamarihi, So that they, they can eat from its fruit. Meaning these, these springs that come out, they provide fresh water which allows for vegetation on the mountainside and they produce all kinds of great fruit. And they didn't make it with their own hands. They didn't make sure the orange is round with their own hands. They didn't color it. They didn't create the taste of it. Then why, not, why aren't they grateful then? Subhanalladhi khalaqal azwaja kullaha. How perfect is the one? Meaning declare the perfection of the one who created all spouses, all pairs, every single one of them. Mimma tumbitul ard. From what spouts, uh, sprouts from the earth? And even out of their own selves. And of species and creatures they don't even know about. There are, there are forms of life that Allah says we don't even know about that are created in pairs. And, a, and a, mirac- a miracle for them is night itself. Naslahu minhun nahar. We peel the day out of it. We peel or pull out the day. It's as though, you know, salakha is used when a, when a snake sheds its skin. Or to skin an animal. Or to take the, the hide off. And also, when the, the, the month runs out, we say, salakhat ashahar. Or salakht ashahar. You know, the, the, that the, that you, the deadline for the month ran out. So Allah says, we pull the day out of the night. It's as though Allah is yanking the cover of day off. You know how you're pulling the sheet off of a bed? That's the image. Then all of a sudden, they are left in the dark. So the night is, when the day's sheet is removed, there's only darkness left, and you're left in the dark. And the sun, it continues to swim, continues to float in a, a time, in a situation, a position that is appointed for it. That is the calculation and the decree of the ultimate authority, the one who knows all. And the moon itself, we calculated and decreed, dedicated its stages. Manazil, its stages, its phases. Until it turns or it starts looking like the bent bark of an old tree. 
You know how you have the peels, date palms have these like these uh, pieces of, of, of the palm that come out, that stick out. If you take one of them out, it looks like this bend, which is kind of like what the moon looks like, the arch. That's what it's being compared to. It's not becoming of the moon, or, or the sun rather, to get ahead of or catch up to the moon. To catch up to the moon or get ahead of it. nahar, Nor is it becoming of the night. To get ahead of the day. And every one of them in their own orbits continue to swim. Notice the phrase kullun fi falak is actually a palindrome. The kaf, lam, fa, ya, fa, lam, kaf. Kaf and kaf, lam and lam. Fa, you know, and then the fa and the fa and the ya in the middle. Kullun fi falakin yasbahun. It's actually backwards and forwards. Just like the, the, the orbits themselves are in symmetry, the letters of this phrasing is also in symmetry. And they say al-lafu wa nashru ala al-aks. In English, we say palindromes. There's actually some really nice calligraphy uh, by Sheikh Haji Noor uh, that sh- illustrates the palindrome itself. An kullun fi falak. Wa ayatul lahum anna hamalla dhurriyatahum fil fulki al-mashhoon. And a miracle for them is that we boarded them, their, 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 even their children, dhurriyatahum fil fulki al-mashhoon, onto ships that are fully loaded. In other words, they and their children and their likes are going to be boarded onto ships. And that itself is a miracle. And we created for them the likes of it that they board onto. Allah says we've already designed in our architectural designs, there are things that look like ships that we've created that they're going to be riding. Oh, planes, helicopters, submarines, the likes of it. Well, it says it's something like it. There's also boarding, and they board with their children. So next time you see children on a plane, and they're crying and making noise, you say, And if we wanted, we would sink them. Then there's no one that they can, there's no crying out of distress. Who are they going to call out to? وَلَاهُمْ يُنْقِذُونَ And they're يُنْقَذُونَ They're not going to be rescued at all also. The, this saracha came in Surah Al-Qasas, if you recall. فَإِذَا الَّذِي يَسْتَنْصِرُهُ يَسْتَنْصِرُهُ You know the one who was asking him, فَإِذَا الَّذِي اسْتَنْصَرَهُ يَسْتَنْصِرُهُ The one who asked him for help the day before بِالْأَمْسِ was calling for help, distress. إِلَّا رَحْمَةً مِنَّا Except this is as a mercy from us that they don't sink. وَمَتَاعًا إِلَى حين. And utilities to enjoy until a given time. So, how does this ayah affect the Muslim attitude? You get on a plane, you got a flight to Chicago, you got a flight to New York, you got a flight to somewhere, and you land, and you say, "Illa rahmatan minna." This is only a mercy of Allah that the plane landed. And even though I'm here to enjoy for vacation, or I'm here to meet some family, I'm here to do some business, these things are only going to be for a little more time. Wa mata'an ilahin. Just like you just finished a journey, Allah uses that as an opportunity to remind you your life itself is a journey and it's only temporary. And just like just this journey came to an end and you reached safe shore, the journey of life will also come to an end. وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمُ مَا بَيْنَ وَمَا خَلْفَكُمْ And when it said to them, have, take caution, take precaution based on what is right in front of you. Fear what is in front of you also means the revelation that's in front of you, the message that's in front of you. 
And the message that came before you too also means take precaution based on what came in front of you. These ayat, these signs, and history behind you. So that you may be shown mercy. And there's not a single miracle from any of the miracles of their master that comes to them except their attitude is the same. They deliberately continue to ignore them. And when it's said to these kinds of people, why did you spend from what Allah has provided for you? Disbelievers would say to those who do uh, believed, You want us to feed somebody who have God, your God who's so great, who made all these fruits and trees and made all this great thing, these great things that he says he provided. He didn't want to feed them. Why do you want us to feed them? So they use sarcasm as a, as a smart response to not give charity. You people, like these are the kuffar talking, you people are so confused. First, first you talk about this great God who provides. And then there's these poor, poor people in the world. What kind of God is it? Allah makes commentary about even these, things, these guys that think they're so smart from the philosophy department that show up and hang out at the MSA booth when you have the Discover Islam booth. And they come and they say, so why isn't your God feeding the, you know, the starving children in this, this country or that country? What's going on? You know? You hear this trash talk from them. And then when you say, when you say, astaghfirullah, la hawla wa la quwata illa billah, fear Allah, they'll say, wa yaquluna mata hadha al-wa'din kuntum sadiqeen. When is this promise coming? If in fact you're telling the truth, when is judgment day? The year 2000 already came, the Mayan calendar and all of that. 2012 already came and passed. We already made, even made a movie about it. When is it coming? They're not going to be staring at anything but a loud sound, a loud scream. That'll take a hold of them. While they're in the midst of their obnoxious debating, they're arguing, arguing back and forth. They're in the middle of that while the, while the, the loud scream catches them. Then they won't even be able to leave a will. Actually, what's I here means, you know when there's an emergency and you call, hey, there's an earthquake, in case I don't make it, take care of the kids, okay? If anything happens, if anything should happen, just know I love you. And you'll be good. There's no goodbyes. They won't have time for goodbyes. And they won't be able to go back to their families for one last hug. And the trumpet will be blown into. And then out of nowhere, they're going to start coming out of their graves. You know, ajdath is a specific word for qabr. You know what qabr is, right? Grave. Jadath is actually a grave that has no markings left. You don't even know it's a grave. And so all of a sudden, in the middle of this field, people start coming out that were buried here thousands of years ago. We didn't even know. مِنَ الْأَجْدَاثِ إِلَىٰ رَبِّهِمْ Towards their master, يَنْسِلُونَ Descending down, everybody's heading down. As though the earth has turned into a slope, and everybody just pours into You know how when there's a, a, a slope, water ends up in the same place? It trickles down, ends up in the same place? Nasala To head down, downwards. As though Allah makes the entire earth stretched in a slope, and everybody's running down towards Arafat. إِلَىٰ رَبِّهِمْ يَنْسِلُونَ قَالُوا يَا وَيْلَنَا they would say, oh, what horrible thing has happened. Nothing worse could possibly happen. Ya wailana. The old English, borrow unto us. Wail is fil arabiya. La yumkin akbah wa aswa min thalik. Worse isn't possible. 
Things couldn't possibly be worse for us. Marqadina. Who woke us up from our sleep? Marqadina. Marqad is actually a light sleep. And Raqad is actually, or Marqad is also used one of the metaphorical terms for grave. Now, we know that we're being either rewarded in the grave or we are being, or not we, but human beings are being punished in the grave. We don't put ourselves in that position. Right? Either, either we're being rewarded or human beings are going to be punished in the grave. So there's no sleep in the grave. So how come Allah uses the word Marqad? Well, when the first trumpet is born, everything dies. When the second one is blown, everything wakes up. So between the first and the second, there is a sleep. Between the first and the second, you are knocked out. You're completely out. But until the first, you were awake. And from the, from the time of your death, until the first, you were awake. You're being rewarded, you're enjoying the breeze of Jannah, the conversation among the believers is happening, people are visiting each other, each other's graves. The life of Barzakh is elaborate in the hadith of the Prophet That goes on until everything dies. And that is the first trumpet. And this, when Allah says, وَنُفِخَ فِي الصُّورِ Everything's coming out of their graves. This is not the trumpet of death, this is the trumpet of life. This is the resurrection trumpet, this is the second one. So, you know, فَسَعِقَ مَنْ فِي السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ When we pass through those ayat, when the trumpet is born and everything will die, everything will, will collapse, that's the first one. So, قَالُوا يَا وَيْلَنَا مَنْ بَعَثَنَا مِنْ مَرْقَدِينَ They'll say, oh my God, who took us out of our graves? هَذَا مَا وَعَدَ الرَّحْمَانِ Oh, it's hitting me now. It's all coming back to me now. This is what the incredibly merciful promise, وَصَدَقَ الْمُرْسَلُونَ and those messengers we poked fun at, they're all telling the truth. In kanat illa sayhatan wahida, it's going to be nothing but one loud scream. Faidahum jami'ul ladina muhdarun. Then all of them, in union, are going to be standing before us presented. That that day, no, not, not a single soul, no individual is going to be wronged in any way. And none of you are going to be given anything but the very things you worked on. You'll be given exactly what you used to be working on. The people of Jannah, may Allah make us from them, the companions of Jannah, people that hang out with each other in Jannah, Ashabul Jannah. Ashab here doesn't just imply that they're the people of Jannah. It means they're always, they want to be in Jannah, they want to stay in its company, they don't want to go anywhere else. You know, you stay in some place for a long time, you're like, we should get out. You stay at home for a long time, I want to go somewhere. I haven't gone out anywhere for a long time. You stay out for a long time, I just want to go home. You stay in the same city, man, I wish I got to see New York City, I wish I got to see LA, I wish I got to go somewhere. You know? But Ashabul Jannah, they just stay there. This is awesome. You want to go somewhere? No, bro. The place can come to us. We don't have to go. We're in Jannah. There are going to be in activities. There are activities in Jannah, guys. Shughul means you're busy. You're busy doing stuff. You know, when my, my daughter was young, she said, Is there going to be Elmo in Jannah? Giant Elmo? I said, I, I hope not. <laughs> I'm not sure if that looks like Jannah at that point. But <laughs> Sure, whatever you want, child, you know. But you got activities, a ball game going on. It's like a pool table from Jannah. You can't miss a shot. It doesn't matter how bad you are in this dunya. It's ping pong. You think PS3 is a good system? Man, you're in the game. You're in it. It's not even, it's not even virtual, it's real. There's, all these activities are happening, all these different things. You know how you go into like a, 
I don't recommend going into one of those, but one of those Dave and Buster's or like one of those toy Chuck E. Cheese. There's all this crazy stuff, overstimulated stuff that gives you a headache. Like it's kind of psychotic if you, if you, if you look at it, the over, overstimulation of colors in those places, right? But imagine you walk into Jannah and there's stuff. It's not like a quiet garden where you just, you know, in Jannah we're just going to sit in a picnic. And what do we do? Another picnic. You know, it's great for uncles and aunties. They love picnics. But the rest of you are like, let's do something, man. Let's go play some ball. Let's go swimming. You know, let's go check out what's at the bottom of the ocean. Everybody's doing stuff. You're just shughul. Shughul actually means you're immersed in something. Not amal, shughul. You're preoccupied. You're so into it. And then Allah adds faqihun. They're so happy doing it. They're so happy doing it. You know, the closest thing to this, which doesn't compare at all, is like Six Flags. But even at Six Flags, there's lines. And then there are people crying on the roller coaster. <laughs> I'm never going to do this again. Like me, I cry on roller coasters. You know? My sister's a daredevil. She goes to all of them. I go to one of them and I'm like, okay, I don't need to see Malakul Maut ever again until the time comes, okay? I don't need an early invitation. But they go and sometimes the ride was, it was okay. Man, we waited all this time and it wasn't even worth it. There's no wait. There's no boredom. There's no disappointment. Every activity is like, you know, and you have to pick. Should we go to this one or that one? This one looks better. There you can't even pick. They're all awesome. And there's no, there's no rush. It's not like Eid Day over here where there's going to be a long line at the halal hot dog stand and you're going to end up in a fight with some other Muslim to celebrate the true nature of a brotherhood in Ramadan. You know, none of that's going to happen there. You're just, you got all the time in the world. Your ticket doesn't expire. So we'll do that, then we'll do that, then we'll do that. And there's no exhaustion. We don't have any exhaustion. There's no nasab. I can't even stand anymore. Can we sit down? Can we just relax? No. It's okay. You got energy for everything. One after the other, after the other, after the other. That's the joy of Jannah. Fi shughulin faqihun. Faqih actually means something that puts a smile on your face. From it we get the word faqiha, a fruit that puts the smile on your face. You, you bite it and you just smile. You can't even help yourself. You know? Them and their spouses are going to be in these shades. On top of cushions and couches. Reclining back. So even if they do want to relax from one of those shughal, they sit with their wonderful spouse. Isn't this great? Yeah. Oh, this is a great couch. The shade is so amazing. This amazing scenery is being described in Jannah. And on top of that, they will have in it, in the shade, They'll have fruits presented to them. Fruits that make them smile. Fakiha. Ooh, that looks like strawberries. You bite it? No, this is, this is something totally different. You've got to try this. And they try the next one, it's completely different. This was what we were given before. They're like, no, it looks like it. It's made to look like it. But every time they bite it, it's like, whoa, taste explosion. Let me try another one of those. And another one. And it keeps getting better. And you're just enjoying this with your spouse. And then they enjoy these fruit and then they remember. I wonder if they have chicken shawarmas here. I wonder if they make biryani in Jannah. They have baklava in Jannah. They have couscous. They have any? They have baba ganoush. You know? Adana kebab. You know? They have any of that? <laughs> 
And then all you just ask the question, and whatever they place an order for, shows up. Here, you asked? This is the Jannah version of it. And you eat it and you're like, oh. Your eyes just, the smile on your face. Now that is a chicken shawarma. That's what you call a samosa. Jannah versions of fruits. Jannah versions of whatever you can call. Now, whatever you can call, and where's your memory from? Dunya. Whatever your memory is from, dunya. So Allah gives you the Jannah version of it. So you, all the best food you've ever had, all the most beautiful things you've ever enjoyed, and it's not limited to food. These orders are not limited to food. These are limited to anything you wanted in this world, and you said, no, in Jannah is better. It's haram here. I don't want here, I want in Jannah. You just have the thought in your head. And poof. Salamun. And then there's something you couldn't even imagine. Peace. Salutation. Qawlam min Rabbir Rahim. A word from the, from the always merciful master. Allah will say salam. Salamun qawlam min Rabbir Rahim. Wamtazul yawm. Then distinguish yourselves, separate yourselves, be, be apart from these people, ayyuhal mujrimoon, criminals. You know how we want the park to be like only for Muslims on that day? And then you see people inappropriately dressed, or people that are hating on Muslims, or security guards that are giving you dirty looks, and you're like, why are these people here? On, on, on that day, Allah screens everybody else out. Be separated, criminals. Be distinguished, cut off. A line is drawn. Didn't I take a promise from all of you? Ya Bani Adam, sons of Adam, Allah ta'budu shaitan, that you're not going to be worshipping shaitan. Now we're learning another dimension of Alastu bi rabbikum qalu bala shahidna in Surah Al A'raf, ayah number 172. Allah asked us a promise. Allah asked us, am I not your master? We said yes. Now Allah is telling us another part of that promise. Didn't I tell you, you won't worship shaitan? إِنَّهُ لَكُمْ عَدُوٌ مُّبِينَ No doubt he is an open enemy to all of you. وَأَنِعْبُدُونِي That you're going to be enslaving yourselves to me, worshipping me. هَذَا صِرَاتٌ مُسْتَقِيمٌ That is a straight path. وَلَقَدْ أَضَلَّ مِنْكُمْ جِبِلًّا كَثِيرًا but the fact of the matter is, he really already did misguide so many multitudes among you. Jibil in Arabic means extremely large group. It's so large that it reminds you of a jabal, like a mountain, an endless mountain range, which is a, high, a huge quantity of something. I mean, the biggest quantity of something physically that you can imagine is a range of mountains on the earth. Right? So Jibil is, is drawing from that and saying huge multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of people. Kathiran. أَفَلَمْ تَكُونُوا تَعْقِلُونَ Was it not even a little bit that you would have ex exercised your intellect? See, أَفَلَمْ تَعْقِلُونَ Didn't you understand? أَفَلَمْ تَكُونُوا تَعْقِلُونَ Weren't you ever going to exercise your intellect? Was it never that you were going to use that brain that was given to you? هَذِهِ جَهَنَّمُ الَّتِي كُنْتُمْ تُوْعَدُونَ This is Jahannam, the one that's been promised to all of you. إِسْلَوْهَ الْيَوْمِ Enter, throw yourselves into it today. Be thrown into it today, bima kuntum takfurun, on account of the ingratitude and disbelief that you lived in, that you engaged in. Al-yawma nakhtimu ala afwahihim. Today we're going to place a seal on their mouths. Nakhtimu ala afwahihim. Wa tukallimuna aidihim. And their hands are going to start talking to us. Your mouths have done enough talking. No more for your mouth. Now your hands will do the talking. 
And their feet will start testifying. Ya Allah, he took me there. Ya Allah, he walked with me to that club. He walked over to her house. He walked over and he, he went to that theater. He took me here, he took me there. He took me to that, you know, that bank and he, he made me, the hand says, he made me sign those riba papers. Every single thing is being tested. The hands and the feet are testifying. He floored the accelerator. The feet testify. بِمَا كَانُوا يَكْسِبُونَ In regards to everything that they earned. وَلَوْ نَشَاءُ Had we wanted, لَطَمَسْنَا عَلَىٰ أَعْيُنِهِمْ لَا is for emphasis. Tamasna is the verb. We truly would have obliterated over their eyes to rub something until there's no sign of it left. Now you know when you take a rock, it's a very graphic image, when you take a rock and you chisel it, you keep doing this for like days and days and days. It becomes smooth at the end, right? It becomes smooth at the end. There are machines that do that now. You put, you, you, you put the machine or this, like, this uh, axe that's kind of constantly grinding and you put the plank of wood through it and it cuts it through. It smooths it out. There's buffering machines that give a surface a smooth. This is tamas actually, to buffer a surface, to rub it until it becomes smooth. Allah says, had we wanted, we would have obliterated their eyes by constantly rubbing them until there's nothing left here, there's no eyes left. It's just smoothed out. It's squashed until there's nothing left. لَطَمَسْنَا عَلَىٰ أَعْيُنِهِمْ Then from that it also is derived when somebody's face gets like, um, like mangled, or their face is twisted, or deformed, then they say, tamasa wajhuhu. His face is deformed. tamasa wajhahu. Then they're going to try to race to the path, but how are they going to see? Because I've already obliterated their eyes. And had we wanted, we would have deformed their faces, made them ugly. Where they stand? And then they're not going to be able to go back to what they used to be from Mali. They're not going to be able to go back to the past, nor what they used to be in their original state, nor will they be able to come back. And whoever we give old age, now you're thinking, how are they not going to be able to come back on Judgment Day? Allah says, I can give you a little preview of that. Whoever we give old age, we alter them, reverse them, turn them back in creation, wind them down. Nakasa, to put something down, to deteriorate something. To roll something back, nakasa. This tenkis. Allah says, whoever we give old age, we start rolling them back fil khalq in their creation. So you're, you and I are young, and our, our backs are upright, we're running around, we're energetic, but when we're very little, we get tired easily. When we're very little, we can't walk too long. We need to sit down, you know? And we can't feed, our, feed ourselves, we have to be fed when we're very little. What happens when we're very old? We get tired easily. We can't feed ourselves, we have to be fed. People become so helpless at a point in their age, they can't even clean themselves, they have to be cleaned. Just like they were when they were in the beginning. In the very beginning stages of life, in the first six months, you know, three, four months at least, a child's vision is very blurry. They don't see like you and I see. What happens in very old age? The vision becomes blurry, you know. Even the way this process sounds is different in the beginning. What happens to processing sound at the end of life? Starts going. Every, the dependencies come back. Children at, the, at early ages, they're cranky. They lose their temper. They get overly emotional. 
They get very upset. They're volatile emotionally. What happens to very old people? Same thing happens. They're very, very upset very easily. Somebody in their 90s, somebody, you know, there's an uncle at a masjid here somewhere. He can say the meanest things, but you can't say anything back to him because he gets really upset. And he's at an age where you just have to let it go. You just have to say, I'll take it. When you get to a certain age, you can just anything, you can shoot your mouth, just like a kid. Kid just shoots his mouth, and parents say, he's a baby, he doesn't mean it. It's okay. Alusi added a brilliant insight to this. He said, we're reversing him in creation in that the back was upright. You know, the spine is like, it's shaped like this, it's upright. But then when the man gets old, the woman gets old, what happens to their back? Starts bending. And so they're looking down all the time. So Allah is reminding them, you came from dirt, now you keep looking at dirt, because that's where you're headed again. Why don't they then get it? We didn't teach him poetry. This isn't just entertainment. This is not just ta rhyming schemes that you get to enjoy. It's not becoming of him. You know, I'll say something about this ayah that maybe I haven't said before. Quran is not poetry, isn't just for the Quraysh that they think oh, it's just poetry. Poetry was a means of entertainment. When Allah says we didn't teach him poetry, He's also saying we didn't teach him entertainment. The religion is not entertainment. Speeches are not entertainment. Khutbah is not entertainment. The recitation of the Qur'an is not just entertainment. It's not supposed to be. It's not if, if all your relationship with the Qur'an amounts to you enjoy its recitation, which is great in and of itself, but that's not what it is. There's more to it. It's very serious stuff. That's why the, the relationship with the Qur'an has to be balanced. It is beautiful. And there's, I guarantee you, there's nothing more entertaining in life than the, learning, the joy of learning the Qur'an. The joy of memorizing the Qur'an, the joy of reciting the Qur'an, and the joy of listening to the Qur'an's recitation. There is, to me at least, there's no greater joy. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing in life. But that's not just what it is. That's the bonus. That's the added benefit of the Qur'an, that it's beautiful. Allah could have guided us in a way that's not this beautiful. He didn't have to make it beautiful. He did. He didn't have to make us let us enjoy recitation. He did. Those are added joys. But when you do that at the expense of the seriousness of the message, you know, who, you know, uh, the Quran says about the people who are being thrown into hellfire. You know, khuluhu wa salluhu, grab him, throw him. You know, thumma fi silsilatin dhara'in. Then throw him into the hellfire. But the guy is reciting, there's a qira'a circle somewhere, and the guy is reciting the ayat about somebody being thrown in hellfire. And nobody sitting there understands what the guy is reciting. And everybody's like, Subhanallah! Oh. So awesome. It's not awesome, dude. And then there's artificial crying. Qadi Sahib is reciting the ayat of inheritance. Allah has given you counsel that for a, a, one, a boy gets the share of two girls and the guy behind is artificially <laughs> Why are you, inheritance law man what are, you, what are you crying with why are you crying you don't even know what the ayat are talking about you know 
this is, it's supposed to move us. Like entertainment can be moving. There are people who sit and watch a Disney movie and they you know, can't believe Poe came back to his, his dad. You know? And you shed a tear. You, you ha that happens. But this artificial, this is genuine. Because it's about ourselves, not about some fictional characters. We didn't teach him poetry. And you know the Prophet loved poetry? Did you know that? He loved poetry, sallallahu alayhi wa But he couldn't do it. Couldn't even remember it. He could not remember it. No matter how hard he tried, if he was asked to repeat a piece of poetry, he'd butcher it. And in poetry, you have to not just remember the words, you have to remember the qawafi. You have to remember the You have to kind of break the syllables like this when you recite poetry. Otherwise, it butchers it. You know? It's not poetry. There's a way to do it. These are these are these breaks of ups and downs and ups and downs. I don't know how to do it, by the way. There are people who study this stuff. Abu Bakr al-Siddiq was a master of this stuff. Not just knowing poetry, executing poetry. The Prophet had no talent in it. None. Allah just didn't let him have it. He would try to remember, he'd just have memory block. For a man that remembers the entire Qur'an without it being on paper. For a man that remembers the entire Qur'an while multiple surahs are coming down and not any of them is complete yet, so many of them aren't complete, and he knows which ayah goes where and which ayah goes where. He can't remember a piece of poetry. Allah says we didn't teach him poetry. The famous incident is so, it's so cute, it's so funny. The Prophet recited a piece of poetry and he, he messed it up. He just messed it up. He, you know, because it was talking about two tribes. Just to make it easy for you, he was talking about tribe A and B. And the poetry mentioned A and B. When he recited it, he recited it with B and A. Now in poetry, do these sequences matter? The word you start with, the word you end with, does it matter? Sure. So Abu Bakr al-Siddiq hears and he goes, Ah, Ya Rasulullah, I think it's A and B, not B and A. The Prophet tells him, what difference does it make? It's the same thing. Same thing. When I was young, again, I don't recommend it, but when I was younger, we used to watch uh, Home Improvement. You ever seen that show, Home Improvement? You know how Tim used to hear these epic quotes from his neighbor? And then he used to go and butcher them to his wife. Right? Just he doesn't have the sense to remember the thing, the line. Allah Azza wa did not give the Messenger وسلم, the ability to remember poetry. And so Abu Bakr Siddiq hears that he goes, you know, Sadaqt Annaka Rasulullah. You really are the Messenger of Allah. My iman has been renewed. He goes, Why? We didn't teach him poetry, he doesn't fit him either. <laughs> SubhanAllah. For a man that could, the most intelligent human being on the face of this earth, Allah did not want him to have that in him. And he had so much appreciation for poetry, you know. He would say, In eloquent speech, there's magic, you know. And even, even about poetry, there's a similar statement about the Prophet ﷺ saying it. I can't remember the word, so I won't cite it. But 
Allah didn't teach him poetry. Why? Because he doesn't want anybody to think this has anything to do with entertainment or anything to do with just trivial stuff. It's a serious matter. It doesn't fit him. This is nothing but a remembrance. A clear Quran. So it can go out and warn the one who is still alive. Remember the last surah? You cannot make anybody listen who is in the grave. And now, it only came to warn who are still alive. Meaning what? Who are spiritually alive. People whose hearts are dead. People who won't believe anymore. Whose hearts are gone that were mentioned in the beginning of the surah. They're gone. So who's left? The ones who are still alive. Spiritually speaking. And so the verdict could be manifest and deserving and worthy, worthy on those who disbelieved. Didn't they observe? Didn't they see? That we created from them the very things that are from our own hands, we created cattle for them, out of different kinds of cattle. And they own them. Did you make the four legs on that, on that cow? Did you make its udders that you get milk out of? Did you manufacture the milk yourself? Did you do that? And then Allah says, they, they own them, وَذَلَّلْنَاهَا And we subdued those animals. We humiliated those animals. We domesticated them for them. لَهُمْ Had Allah wanted, the cow would have been one of the most vicious animals in nature. Hunting human beings. Allah subdued it. Allah put it to rest. It's a large creature. Just, Allah just had to create a couple of teeth on the sucker. Just a couple, little bit stronger legs and we would have been in trouble. That's a huge species on the earth. And out of them is their rides. And out of them is what they consume also. They eat also. So they get the milk. When the milk runs out, it's beef time. You know? They're, they're consuming. And then he adds, وَلَهُمْ فِيهَا مَنَافِعِ And there are other benefits from the, from the animals too. What benefits come from sheep and cows and goats? Other than meat, other than milk? There's their hides. Now we're at a time where not a bone is left that's not put to use. Everything from them is put to use. Every single thing. وَلَهُمْ فِيهَا مَنَافِعُ وَمَشَارِبُ And they have drinks, forms of drink from them. أَفَلَا يَشْكُرُونَ Then why, why don't they then, why aren't they grateful? And they have taken other than Allah as gods. As gods and entities of worship and help. So that they may be aided. They're not going to be able to help them. And they are going to be in their favor, or actually in their, against them, an army that is made to stand. In other words, the armies of angels, the armies of idols. Allah will make them stand against them as an army on judgment day. This is what you were worshipping? Because they're testifying against you. They're saying, we didn't want to be worshipped. So they'll, they'll stand as an army against you. Then don't you worry about their words. Their words shouldn't worry you. They shouldn't grieve you. We know already the things they keep secret and the things they show. Hasn't the human being observed that we created him from a dirty fluid? Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he starts arguing so, so clearly. He thinks he's got such clear arguments. You know the, the parallel to this, if you want to appreciate what Allah is saying in this ayah? One day comes and your son, your son, you're the mother. One day comes the son starts arguing with you. Talks back and raises his voice. 
and you tell your son, MashaAllah, you know, there was a day I used to hold you in my arms and clean your diaper. I used to feed you. I was carrying you in my, my belly. This is what you were. And mashallah, you've grown so much that you can argue like this now. You made me proud. How much progress you've made. It's a humiliating thing to say to the son. I'm equipping mothers with lines as though they need them. They already got them all. I get from them. They don't get from, you know. But anyway, this... Allah is saying, look at this human being. He was made from this, nutfa. And now he's arguing, arguing about what? I'm not sure if God exists. Hellfire, messenger. Really? You have that kind of, you're a pretty brave soul. That you can argue in this way. And he's constantly engaged in argument. Allah is talking about an arrogant type of person who's khasim, fa'il. Always looking for an argument. Always looking for a debate. He starts giving all kinds of theoretical hypotheses for us. He starts presenting all kinds of examples for us. The only thing missing from that entire philosophical debate is his own creation. He forgot what he's made, how he was made. He said, who's going to give life to bones? When they are completely old and decayed and like a rope that's really old and just starts shredding. That's what bones are going to be like. Squishy and breakable. Who's going to bring life back then? Tell them he, the one who initiated, raised it the first time around will bring it back again. And he is knowledgeable of all forms of creation. This is the argument I taught you about before, which is if something's done the first time, it's harder. And the second time it should be easier. So if you recognize that Allah has made it, then the second time is easier for Allah, not harder. It's easier to believe in the, in the afterlife. If you believe in life from Allah, then believing in afterlife from Allah is an easier step, not a harder one. The one who made fire out of, a green, out of the green tree for you. It's greenery, it's full of water. It's greenery comes from water. And from that, that source that collects water, that drains water, Allah creates fire. Then out of nowhere you start creating and building fires from, from wood. Isn't that one then capable? The one who created the skies and the earth, isn't he capable at all to create the likes of them? An yakhluqa mithlahum? To create the likes of them? This means two things. You think you are some special like of creature that's hard to reproduce? That's one. The other is when Allah recreates us, it won't exactly be us. It'll be a new us. It'll be a new us. Allah will recreate us and our body won't exactly, it'll be a body made for Jannah. And it'll be a body made for Hellfire. It's not, it won't be this body anymore. It'll have different features. It'll be like it, mithlahum. It'll be similar to it, but it'll have some variations. So just like the fruit of Jannah is different. The food of Jannah, even though it looks like the one from the earth. So, an yakhluqa mithlahum. Bala, not at all. Rather, huwa al-khallaqul alim. He is the continuous creator, the all-knowledgeable continuous creator. Khallaq means someone who creates over and over and over and over again. Even inside our, our bodies, as I've mentioned to you, now we know this biologically, in about 10 years' time, biologically speaking, all of my cells have been replaced. All of my skin cells have been replaced. All of my older cells have died and have been taken over by new cells. I'm actually a new creature 
within a decade, physically speaking. And so he is khalaq. He is the one who creates over and over and over again. Actually, that form of, a form of resurrection is already happening inside this life. A, a death and a re rebirth is happening inside of us. You know, Allah says, سَنُرِيهِمْ آيَاتِنَا فِي الْآفَاقِ وَفِي أَنفُسِهِمْ We'll show them our miracles inside the, the, the skies, the horizons, and inside themselves. The study of the human being will reveal things about, our, about Allah, about the truth. إِنَّمَا أَمْرُهُ إِذَا أَرَادَ شَيْئًا His decision, his matter, whenever he intends to do something, إِذَا أَرَادَ شَيْئًا It's an interesting combination of words, أَرَادَ and شَيْئًا Because شَيْئًا comes from شَاءَ So you would say شَاءَ شَيْئًا شَاءَ شَيْئًا but here Allah says, arada, and it doesn't say arada iradatan, he says arada shay'an. Shay'an is usually a thing, but it actually comes from will. When you have a strong will, then it materializes into something. You know, there are ideas that transform into reality. When your will is so strong that your will transforms into reality, that is shay'. It becomes a thing, that's where the word sha'a comes from. Irada is less than that. Irada is even the, just the smallest idea, the smallest thought. But Allah says, every one of his irada even is shay. It's strong. His intent itself is shay. There is no such thing as a weak intention by Allah Azza wa Jalla. Arada shay'an. Whenever he intends something. An yaqula lahu kun, fayakun, that he says to it be, and it just comes into existence. It becomes. This is the kana yakunu without the khabar. There's no khabar necessary. فَيَكُونَ It exists. فَسُبْحَانَ الَّذِي بِيَدِهِ مَلَكُوتُ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ Then how perfect is the one in whose hands is the ultimate dominion, ultimate kingdom of all things. وَإِلَيْهِ تُرْجَعُونَ And to him alone, you are all going to be returned. That concludes our study of Surat Yasin. Alhamdulillah. I'll give you guys a relatively shorter break and we'll begin our study of Surat As-Safat. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim wa nafa'ni wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikr al-Hakim.